champion. Okay, we are doing round two here of um, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They are blessed. And I want to back up just a little bit. Uh, as you know, um, we've been in an emptying process, a self-emptying look here at the Beatitudes uh, of creating in us an, uh, a longing uh, for the righteous, for the righteous one, for the righteousness of God. And uh, that emptying process, uh, as we are emptied out, we have the hunger and the thirst um, of um, verse 6 of, of uh, Matthew 5. And in that hunger and thirst, there is a filling. And we've been talking about what this filling looks like. This filling looks like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. This filling looks like the rest of the Beatitudes. This filling comes uh, into us through me, uh, with, with uh, an, an outflow of meekness. Meekness is the fountain of behavior that comes from the reservoir of humility. Humility comes from understanding that we are poor in spirit, that we are impoverished, that on our own we can do nothing. Um, and, and, and even going to the point of mourning our condition. Uh, of, of being fallen and, our, and celebrating, you know, the comfort of that is celebrating our position of being redeemed. You know, blessed are they that mourn. Part of the mourning is mourning our fallenness, but that's our condition. And the comfort that comes from that, for they shall be comforted, is um, the comfort of our position in him. We are restored. We are reclaimed. We are his. So there's tremendous comfort in that, in the spiritual sense. So we're now moving into the pure in heart in a new way. And I, I want us to just be reminded that pure in heart, yes, our righteousness is a gift from God, but it is in response to us and how we respond to him. Uh, righteousness does not come to us unless by faith we accept Christ as our Savior. But then there is a role that you and I play in that, in that righteousness. There's the ascribed righteousness that is pure gift in response to our faith initiative. But then the other form of righteousness is what we do with our lives. Um, we have a role, you and I, to play in that. And, and that means that we have to guard our heart, the pure in heart, that purity comes out of this ascribed righteousness, but it is maintained as you and I maintain our standing, our, our place with him as far as seeking righteousness. If I'm going out and, and uh, you know, not paying attention to my spiritual life, uh, just kind of having fun and enjoying my, that I am saved and I just go out and I don't pay attention to God, then there is going to be a contaminant that comes to my heart. It's a contaminant of the world. So the role that you and I play in maintaining our righteousness is keeping ourselves separated from the world as best we can. What are the struggles that you and I today here in this uh, culture, 
What do we have? What struggles do we have in maintaining our righteousness? Our separation from the world. I mean, the world is too much with us late and soon, some poet said. And it is all in even our homes through TV. We don't. I mean, we are, we are speeding back and forth, ricocheting from one event to another. And whether we realize that or not, that's a part of the world system that we're in. That's what you're talking about. Um, the world system of speed and cramming as much into each moment as we can, getting as much out of a 15-minute segment or a day segment as we can to be efficient. You know, we don't realize that sometimes, you and I, but that is a part of the world system that can contaminate the purity of our heart and the righteous base we've been given by the Lord's righteousness. How do you see it contaminating us, this hecticness? Okay, we don't listen. We, we skim along the surface up here. Faster than the speed of sound. <laughs> and once we slow up, then maybe the Lord's voice will catch up with us. I've done that with my own voice at times. I've said something, I was thinking one thing and I said something different and about 20 seconds later, I suddenly, it's like the speed of sound, catch, I mean, it catches up with me and I think, you know, I think I said that wrong. And God's voice is sort of like that because we are going so fast, we are not still enough to hear. And if we're not listening, we're missing something of what God wants to impart. Uh, to us, and we're letting the culture bend how we see God, okay? If we would truly see God, there must be uh, a condition in our heart that really does yearn for Him and takes the time out to seek Him and to hear and to listen. So that's where we're at today, and that's what we're looking at today. I mean, the other things, I mean, we could go on the whole, the whole session here today on this, but we, you and I are obligated if we've answered the call of Christ to follow him. We're not obligated if we answer the call of Christ just to believe, just to get our passport to heaven, just to be saved. But if you and I have answered the call of Christ to follow him, then we are obligated to begin setting ourselves apart and daily uh, 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 freshen our sense of what that looks like. And it means that we, we guard what we see. We guard how we use our time. We guard the movies we look at. We guard what we uh, take into our mind. That's part of setting ourselves apart. Well, that's a really neat point. 
it's part of the fellowship and the communion of the saints when people of like mind and like heart, and I'm not talking about like denominational mind and heart, I'm not talking about that at all, but a like heart that is really seeking God and seeking to be set apart and to live a set apart life. If we've answered the call of Christ to follow him, we've answered the call of Christ to set ourselves apart. And so in that quest and in that journey of our heart into greater and greater purity, and, and the holiness only comes by God. There is only holiness in God. But we must, our hearts must seek him. Our, our seeking heart opens the door to God's holiness and to the demands that his holiness places upon mortal lives. And so we're looking here today at not only what are the demands of the pure heart, which is what we've been talking about, but um, what it means to see God. And clearly what Christ is talking about here fundamentally is those who are pure in heart will one day see God face to face. Futuristic. But I believe he's also talking about in our daily walk. He gives us new spiritual eyes with which to see Christ daily. To, to see Christ in the daily grind of our life and to ever keep him before us. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know, I, I, I laid Dietrich down uh, on the bookshelf. <laughs> for years and just kind of refer to some of his writings. And then every once in a while I realize, ooh, I need to read Cost of Discipleship again uh, <laughs> because it's pricking me at a deeper uh, level. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking about, haven't done this in a long time, uh, but I'm thinking about resurrecting my Christian Classics book club thing and doing Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, I've got a study guide that goes with it, and it's uh, the Christian Classics Book Club. Is uh, uh, we study books, read read books that are really not usually modern books. They're more the ancient books, and his is the most modern that we that we look at. Um, um, some of the others are Release of the Spirit by Watchman Nee and. Um, uh, Hannah Hernard's uh, Hind's Feet on High Places and Hannah Whitehall Smith's Christian Secret of Happy Life and, uh, you know, eventually uh, going into Dark Night of the Soul uh, by uh, St. John of the Cross and some of the other books. Uh, Jean Guy owns some of her books. Um, Father Fenlon. But if anybody's interested in just not necessarily going through the whole gamut of, uh, but just... Uh, Coming together to study this after I've done some reading, just let me know as you think about it and as you listen to some of his words that I'm going to read uh, today. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm sure most of you know who he is. Um, he died at the gallows of Flossenburg uh, concentration camp in World War II, two weeks before the American army liberated Flossenburg. And uh, he and Martin Niemöller 
had formed the Confessional Church of Germany as an opposing community of believers to the Reich Church. The Reich Church was composed of about 3,000 pastors who believed that, that Hitler was God's Messiah for Germany. And so uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Muller pulled together the Confessing Church or the Confessional Church of Germany and it was composed of about 3,000 pastors who opposed the Reich Church and opposed Hitler um, spiritually. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died at the age of 39. And he wrote this book, The Cost of Discipleship, at the age of 31. And um, the, the uh, Bonhoeffer family lost uh, Dietrich and two sons to Hitler because the whole family was opposing uh, Hitler. And so in the cost of discipleship, which he wrote at um, 31, he talks about Christ as mediator. Now we understand that word, that he's a mediator between God and man. He is the bridge between unholy man and a holy God. He is our mediator. Uh, Bonhoeffer takes this to a whole different, deeper understanding. And I just want to read a, um, a couple of things um, uh, to you from um, his book. Uh, for Christ has delivered, let me make sure I'm on the right page, yeah. Uh, Christ has delivered us from immediacy with the world and brought us into immediacy with himself. We cannot follow Christ unless we are prepared to accept and affirm this breach. It is no arbitrary choice on the disciples' part, but Christ himself who compels us to break with the past or to break with the world. Um, the call of Christ sets up a barrier between man and his natural life. This barrier is no surely, is no surly contempt for life, no legalistic piety. It is the life which is life indeed, the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ. By virtue of his incarnation, he has come between man and his natural life. By virtue of his incarnation, Christ has come between man and his natural life. He is the mediator, not only between God and man, but between man and man, between man and reality. Since the whole world was created through him and unto him, he is the sole mediator in the world. Since his coming, man has no immediate relationship of his own any more to anything, neither to God nor to the world, because Christ is the mediator between the two. This breach with the immediacies of the world is identical with the acknowledgement of Christ as the Son of God, the mediator. Only the recognition of that, of Christ as the mediator, in that can we separate the disciple from the world of men and things. It is a call of Christ, regarded not as an ideal, but as the word of the mediator. In other words, what he is saying is because Christ created all things, he has a claim on it, and he stands between us and not God, not just God, 
as our bridge, but he stands between us and each other. And he goes on to talk about that. Let me read, finish out his words. Um, Since the coming of Christ, his followers don't have uh, any more immediate realities of their own, not in their family relationships, nor in the ties with their nation, nor in the relationships formed in the process of living. Between father and son, husband and wife, the individual and the nation, stands Christ the mediator. I'll stop there. So what he's talking about here is as we have chosen to follow Christ, we have chosen to see everything through how we see him. Okay? All relationships, well, 99% of the relationships, you know, at best are sloppy. (laughs) And at worst, you know, are a real struggle even the ones that stay together in friendship or in marriage. But he says, his whole thesis is, that as you and I follow Christ, we have made a decision to see him standing between us and that hurtful relationship, between us and that difficult relationship, between us and a loving relationship, a caring relationship, one that, that we might want to see directly. He said there's no direct relationships anymore. We live under illusion of that we are in direct contact with the world now. He said his idea of Christ as mediator is that there is now no more direct contact that we are to have with anyone. It all goes through Christ. Now, that's a different understanding of mediation, but I think it's an amazing understanding. What difference would it make? What does he mean there? That he stands between us, you know, father and son, mother and daughter, husband and wife. What does he mean? In practical terms, you know, just daily grind terms, what would, what would that look like? Okay. Okay. Because as we see them, we're seeing through the lens of Christ. We're seeing through the character of Christ, and we're seeing how he's responding, or would respond, to those people and moving through that. Yeah. Anyone else want to add your thoughts on that? Or questions? Has God gone to meddling here? <laughs> I was really comfortable loving from a distance and <laughs> throwing in the zinger every once in a while. You mean I don't get to win an argument? <laughs> what does that mean in real terms? Is that uncomfortable? Or very. Yes. <laughs> He said it's very uncomfortable. It makes us accountable. No. In fact, the natural man that he talks about wants to do the zingers. 
you know, you've got this God-given response. It is so good. It's gonna, it, it nails the argument. It's got to be God-given, you know? Can't just come for me. And we're no longer our own because we've been bought for a price. Yeah, once we answered the call to follow, then God does become a meddling God. <laughs> he does, and, and we're no longer our own.